Craig Douglas and I'm an alcoholic. What wonderful things can I say about Kyle that he, that he hasn't already said? But I know this. <clears throat> Kyle's an actor. Sometimes dramatic, most time comedic. I know because I'm an actor. And if you're an alcoholic, the big book tells us that you're an actor too. Kyle helps a lot of men in this program. He helps them get sober and stay sober while he stays sober. He helps them here. He helps them in treatment centers, prison, and in jails. And Kyle has taken lately a lot of pride in this place, in this newly remodeled building. He and his acolytes regularly clean this place and keep it running for all of us. So Kyle's an actor, but that's just part of the story. I think we want to hear the rest of it. Here's Kyle. Kyle, alcoholic addict. <laughs> well, I was having a good time until about two minutes ago. Uh, this is my home group. I'm a member of the Cosmopolitan group. Uh, I bribed my way onto the steering committee, and uh, I've worked my way up to custodian. And so it took, took two years to get there, but uh, I finally made it. So uh, I feel good. I feel like I'm doing real good. I feel like I'm doing real good. I talked to Trey today, and he uh, reminded me, as he often does, that I know very little about honesty. So let's just try telling the truth. So that's what I'm going to do. John, I got your seat up here or right here, buddy. My sponsor's here now, so so now I got to tell the truth. I knew I knew early in life, <clears throat> and thank you, Craig, for this beautiful place that we get to call the Cosmopolitan Group. Uh, I love this place. I knew early, I guess, in life that uh, there was something wrong with me. I, I I remember as a child uh, not ever being, not hardly ever being satisfied with anything. Uh, I had fits. I was, I wouldn't say I was a spoiled child. We did pretty good. My mother, my mother did the best she could. My parents were divorced. Uh, my father left when I was when I was very young. Uh, he was not an alcoholic, but he sure did need to drink. Uh, my mother, on the other hand, was a, an addict and an alcoholic, and she needed to not drink or do drugs, but she did. Uh, she also traveled, and um, I remember she would leave, and my sister would have to do the best she could to take care of me as a child, and... Um, my mother would come back. She would go. She worked for the government, and so she would travel every week, and she'd come back on the on the like Friday or Thursday or something or whatever. And and it was always like, what did you bring me? You know, what did I get? You know, she'd always bring these little uh, souvenirs, right? Because she had all these souvenir things that she would always bring me and my sister. My sister is a big part of my story. Um, and so she would come back and she would bring stuff and it would, 
it would always be about, oh, I love you. I'm glad you're home. It was always about what did you bring me? And, um, and that, whatever it was, was fun for about a half a day. Maybe not that long. Uh, never satisfied with anything. Hardly ever satisfied with anything. Um, as, as we grew up, um, she did the best she could. We, I didn't know that she had a, an addiction problem at the time. She didn't drink a whole lot as I was an early child. And um, so she began to drink as I got older. Maybe, uh, you know, fifth, sixth grade, somewhere in there. And so I knew, I knew very little about alcoholism at that, or alcohol or alcoholism at that age. So, uh, but what I did know about was smoking marijuana. I did know about that. And so, um, I, I was in a, for a lack of better term, they, I don't know if they had gangs back then, but I was in an affiliation of some misfits, if you will. <laughs> and uh, I did what they did, and they got tattoos, and I got a tattoo, and they were smoking weed at an early age, and I was smoking weed at an early age because I didn't feel good. I just did not feel good. I did not feel good at school. I did not feel like everybody else looked. I, I don't know. Uh, I know today why I did not know then, but all I knew to do was to do whatever I could do to fit in and feel better. And so, uh, of course, when they started talent shows early in elementary school, I knew that that was the job for me. And so uh, that's where my acting career started. Uh, it started very young. Uh, I always did better under the influence of marijuana. Uh, didn't have the benefit of alcohol at that time. And so, uh, so that went on for a while. And uh, I started getting in some trouble. Trouble, the law started coming. As, as we grew up, my mother would often take me and my sister to um, pool halls. She didn't have a babysitter. And so back then they had pool halls and beer joints, they called them. And so, Instead of leaving us, she'd just drag us to pool halls and beer joints with her. And so uh, I started seeing men doing the things that I thought I would never do. And uh, I, I watched this environment, and I came to love that environment. I didn't know I'd love it then, but I certainly loved it as I got older. And, and I fit right in those environments. And um, so... She did good. She did the best she could. And she um, she started to drink as we got a little older. She started to, uh, to drink. And, and so I would, uh, you know, I was thirsty. And so I'd have a little, she, she drank whiskey. And so when she wasn't around, I thought, you know, it'd be all right for me to try that because everybody else was doing it. So I figured I'd do it too. And uh, she had a lot of friends come over often. And, uh, they were, you could tell they were not CEOs or uh, established men in any large corporations of any kind. She, she liked guys that were, um, uh, they just didn't wear suits and ties. All right? They had dirty fingernails and they were real mean. And that's the kind of guys my mom liked. And uh, she uh, often, often, uh, they would be in our home partying, and me and my sister got to watch this at an early age. And and my mom knew a lot of people, and uh, she knew good people, and she knew bad people. And there would be times when her friends at the Little Rock Police Department would be parked in our backyard smoking and drinking, and then there would be times where the Little Rock Police Department was pulling up in front of our house because of a disturbance of some kind. They shot our house up a lot. Um, they gambled in our home. Uh, me and Kim got to see that quite a bit. And and I can remember as a kid thinking, I would never be, I hope I'm never like those guys. They were they were just mean. They were alcoholics. They were they were abusive. They were verbally abusive. They were mentally abusive and they were physically abusive. And 
I didn't like them, and I hated them, and all I wanted to do was get big and take care of them. And, um, but leaving was a better option for me, as it was my sister. And so I'm starting to get in trouble from drugs and drinking uh, early. I'm in probation. I, I'm at juvenile hall. Uh, I'm going to jail. I'm starting to have some emotional problems as a child. I didn't know what was wrong with me. Um, I couldn't make it in school. I didn't do good in school. I was full of fear, anxiety. I cried a lot as a little kid. Uh, my father, who I don't know that well, ran the Division of Youth Services in Benton for a long time. He also ran the state hospital for a long time. He would often take me to these places and let me see what it would look like if I didn't straighten up. That never worked for me. I guess that was a scared, straight approach back in the day. It never worked for me. Um, so uh, I made it through the seventh grade. I think they passed me because they were just tired of me. Eighth grade was bad. I remember smoking weed with some of my teachers in the eighth grade. I know now that's why I passed the eighth grade. <laughs> and uh, I would have took them whiskey if I could, but I just couldn't get my hands on it. But pot was easy and so uh, so I started having some emotional problems I guess my brain never really developed and I and so I was getting in trouble and they took me out of uh, uh they took me out of Little Rock School District in the eighth grade and they put me in this boys training school in the ninth grade they, we didn't learn very we didn't learn much about reading writing and arithmetic but what we did learn was how to sit in group and tell how we felt and I was not good telling how I felt then, and I'm really not that good at it today. But that's what we did, and they had a pool table, and I like to play pool, I'll be honest with you. So I learned how to play pool, and uh, and so we decided in the, in the 10th grade it was time for me to come back to civilization, and uh, they released me, and I came back to what was a short uh, period of high school at Little Rock Central. Uh, at this time, alcohol was a big part of my story. Alcohol, drugs, narcotics, it did not, it did not matter what it was. If it, made, if it changed the way I felt, I'm all in. Sign me up. I'm down with it. And it led me down the wrong road. Um, I, didn't, uh, I didn't catch a lot of consequences back then. Uh, I knew I was having a problem. Uh, I, I felt better under the influence. I got kicked out of high school for disciplinary problems. I've had very little education. Uh, if, if you look at me on paper, uh, maybe eighth grade is about the best I have. And so um, everything I've learned, I've either learned in this room or on the streets or uh, the places I've traveled. I don't, I, I just, I don't have that. And so what I do have, is the ability to lie and I have the ability to uh, talk and I have uh, I have the gift of uh, disappearing when things get uncomfortable or when you start figuring out who I am I can do that mm -hmm. and that's exactly what started happening after uh, it was it was my mother had put an ultimatum on me is either you're going to go to work or you're going to go to work and so since you can't go to school, you're going to go to work. And so that's what I did. I started working. I got a easy-to-get construction job. Like I said, I had no education, wasn't going anywhere. A uh, little contact with my father. He wasn't putting me through college. Uh, didn't have a, I had a bad relationship with him. He was hard to get along with. He was an alcoholic, and he didn't drink but he had the restless, irritable, and discontent of an alcoholic. I never felt comfortable around him, and I didn't have that problem with my mother. And so, um, so as, uh, as I got into high school, um, or as I got out of high school and started working, I, I started becoming a public alcoholic. And so um, – I was old enough to get in clubs and bars, and that's what I did. I liked going out, and for some reason, I, I don't know why, but I got in a lot of trouble. Uh, it was never my fault. I hardly, I didn't bother people that much, really, but kinda. And uh, and so, I always drank before I'd go anywhere. It always felt better to drink 
before I went anywhere or did anything. It, it just knocked the edge off. And so I learned to dance. And uh, I like dancing. And so, uh, but I like to drink and dance. And so um, I didn't see much of an opportunity at the time. And, uh, and then I figured out you could get, paid to dance and uh that seemed like a good fit seemed like a good job for me i was in shape i liked to dance and so so my part of my career started out in west little rock i stripped for a long time and uh, made money and drank during the day and took my clothes off at night for money and uh it was a good job i thought i was doing real well and uh it didn't last long uh <laughs> just didn't had a lot of fun, but uh, but I got bored, like I do with everything. I got bored, and so I I had an opportunity at the time to uh, move to New York, and I I heard there were some opportunities up there, and I like a good opportunity, and so uh, so I, I I got out of Little Rock because y'all just weren't doing it for me, and so I took off, and uh, and that's where my acting career really got started, and so I'd gotten a job and. In Times Square, I moved up there with a buddy and lived up there for a, about a year and a half, and I and I got a job at a theater in Times Square, and so uh, I knew I had arrived. My acting career was about to take off, and uh, but I I didn't have any speaking parts, and so uh, <laughs> and I didn't have any parts really, but. The part I did have was moving stuff to and from the stage, and they, they call that a stagehand. I called it being an actor, and so uh, there's a big difference. There's a big difference, and so uh, so I got in trouble uh, up there a couple times and uh, saw how the big city was, saw what it was like to party in the big city, and, and I got to go to see the Mets, and I got to dance at Studio 54, and and I was really uh, young, and I was really liking the big life. And it was really fast, and, uh, and I'm slow, and I'm from a small town. But it seemed like a lot of fun, and it got old. And so I left, like I always do. And um, so I came back to Little Rock. I had family and friends here and girlfriends. And so I came back here and, uh, and got back into the uh, just working and drinking and partying and getting in trouble and – same shit, just a different couple, excuse my language, different couple of years. And, uh, and so then I had an opportunity uh, in Los Angeles, California. And uh, I, I know they do some acting out there. And so uh, I, I'm an actor. And so because, because I said I am. And, uh, and so I went to uh, Los Angeles for the weekend. And, uh, and I didn't make it back for over a year and a half. And so... Uh, it's not bad to do that. It's not bad to do that if you don't have a job and a fiance and a house or apartment and car and furniture and a job. It's not bad to do that if you don't have all that stuff. But I did, and and I didn't make it back. And so um, I met crack cocaine out there, and uh, um, so there went my acting career in Los Angeles. And so so I ended up back in Arkansas. And because uh, it got boring out there, and uh, and I heard that the U.S. Army was hiring, and they had some opportunities, and so I like an opportunity. I'll be honest with you. And so I met with a recruiter, and he explained a lot of opportunities, and so uh, so I joined the military, and uh, and did some time in the service. I served for a long time, and. Um, it was right around 1990 I had my first experience with Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, I was, I was, uh, the fear had gone to rage and anger. Uh, I was fighting a lot. Uh, could not control my emotions. Uh, I, I was having a real problem with society. I'd become violently antisocial like the book talks about. And so I had some options one day uh, to either sit in jail or go to Serenity Park, and so I picked Serenity Park, and uh, that was my first introduction in 1990 to Alcoholics Anonymous. I, I went, went across, they, they walked me across the street in handcuffs, and they introduced me to Joe McQueney, and he assured the officers that he was, they were not gonna have any problem out of me, and 
I met my first sponsor there, and uh, he was a big, mean-looking guy. And uh, he was right. They didn't have any problem out of me at all. And so they got me some clothes out of the, out of the uh, lost and found. And I got a year of sobriety. I did a whole year of sobriety and did good. Uh, all my charges were done. My jail time was done. Fines were done. Having a small affair with my probation officer at the time, and uh, wasn't big. Just you know, I just go over every now and then, and uh, and so I got out of all my trouble, and uh, and I don't need y'all anymore. Thank you very much. Uh, you can have my one-year coin, and uh, and I wasn't doing that much in here anyway. I was just trying to get out of trouble, and and uh, and it worked. Alcoholics Anonymous worked. It was very effective. So I left. And because uh, that's what I do, and I, I'm a lot like Houdini. I'm a flight risk. I can run, and uh, and uh, and I thought about running before I came in here tonight. As a matter of fact, <laughs> I thought about it, but I'd have to go home sooner or later. And my sponsor's gonna be there, and it's not gonna be good. So, so, um, So I go back out drinking and drugging just like I did before. Consequences started coming. Uh, I started having some real emotional problems. I wasn't having jail problems at this time. I wasn't getting in trouble, but I was having some mental problems and some emotional problems, and I didn't, I just didn't know what was going on. I didn't know what was going on. I'm a chronic alcoholic, not acute, I'm chronic. I'm not a hard drinker. I'm not a problem drinker, I'm a real alcoholic. I have a problem with alcohol. So I knew, only did what I knew to do, and that was to come back into Alcoholics Anonymous. And that's what I did. Um, after a treatment center in Fort Smith, I came back to Little Rock and I stayed sober or I came back into the program and I maintained five years of abstinence at that time. Now I came back, life got good again. Um, I sponsored some guys, I worked with some guys, I did some service work, but I never surrendered to the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. I did not surrender to the program. Now, my emotions surrendered me the second time and my consequences surrendered me the first time. And I had yet to surrender to the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. And so I did good. I put together five years of sobriety and uh, was doing good. Got a new girlfriend, got a new car, uh, got a new job. Um, Got new clothes, place to live, and, and everything was fine. Came into the Cosmopolitan Group, was going to, the, to Wolf Street uh, often, and uh, it was okay. And then it got boring. And so I do, that's what I do. And so, uh, so I decided you could have your five-year coin back, and uh, I don't need you anymore because I'm well. I'm not sick anymore. I've, I've got a disease that, and an ego that tell me, I don't need you guys. I don't need this program. I don't need to work with others. And I don't need your help, by the way. So I left again. And so that was in the 90s, uh, around the year 2000. Around the year 2000, Uh, I'm going to back up a minute. My mother, during during that period, and and I'm not extreme, I'm not real clear, but I'm going to do the best I can. My mother and all her friends, I thought had diabetes for a long time. <clears throat> not diabetes. All right, wasn't diabetes, but they had a needle. They always had a needle, and uh, they liked Dilaudid. They had Dilaudid problem. Wasn't diabetes, it was Dilaudid. I was close, but it was a little different. And so, uh, 
And so Kim had to pull me aside one day and straighten me out that they didn't have a blood sugar problem. They had a heroin problem. And so, and so uh, my mother had uh, been sent to prison. My mother uh, got in a lot of trouble. She went to prison. She embezzled money from the state. And she had a heroin addiction, and so she went to prison. And so that was actually my first interaction with the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. She went to this place called the Log House out on Highway 10. Me and Kim would go see her, and we'd visit her, and we learned about the steps, and we learned a little bit about it. And it was a very tough time for me and my sister. And, and I did what I knew to do to soften those hurt feelings, and that was to put drugs and alcohol into my body because it changed the way I felt. And that's what I did. And so... She got out. We moved forward a little bit. Uh, we got her through her problem. She smoothed out a little bit. And then uh, around 2000, my sister started catching some consequences from her drug addiction. She had a new baby boy. And uh, um, so, so she, gets she gets prison time, all right? She goes to prison, and I took custody of her son. And so I came back. It was at that time I came back into Alcoholics Anonymous because I knew I wasn't going to be able to do this without some sobriety. And so what looked like the very worst thing that could ever happen in my life was absolutely one of the very best things that ever happened in my life. I had never changed a diaper. I don't know anything about parenthood. I've never been married. I don't know anything about it. But I did know that the only way to raise this little boy was to be sober. And that's exactly what happened. And so I came back into Alcoholics Anonymous. And so uh, doing the best I could really was. I really was. I had a, I had a job that was extremely complicated. I was putting together some years of sobriety. I had real bad untreated alcoholism. And, and, and if you're an alcoholic like me, you cannot treat untreated alcoholism by just coming to meetings. You cannot treat untreated alcoholism by just calling your sponsor once a month. That's the untreated alcoholism I have. And so, so as I'm raising this child and attending meetings, Things started to pant. The things started to smooth out a little bit. After about year five, uh, I was I was kind of getting in the flow with things. I was still often restless, irritable, and discontent. Um, I wasn't. I didn't understand why things were going the way they were. But I'm back in Alcoholics Anonymous, and I'm doing okay. And so after after. I guess <clears throat> a couple years. Uh, I'd been five years. I remember having five years. And six years, seven year, year seven, I, I, my ego and my disease started working on me again. My sister was doing real well, and I knew that she was about to be out. And so I knew Caleb was going back home to his mother. And I had some reservations in the back of my mind that when he goes back to his mom's, I am going to burn it down again. And that's exactly what I did. After he went home, uh, I brought you your 10-year coin back, and I said, I'm out. Thank you very much. I'm done. And I had a hard problem. I had a hard problem with life, and so... That was 2010. I started drinking and drugging again. Uh, I went through some physical problems with rotator cuff issue. I'd never been an opiate person. And I started um, taking hydrocodone for a, for a rotator cuff issue. Now I never thought I was an opiate addict until I stopped taking it. And it was clear I had an issue with opiates. So I stayed. I stayed out of the program for seven years 
drinking and drugging and doing whatever I could to change the way I feel. I'm a chronic alcoholic. It never got better. The disease got 10 years. The disease had matured 10 years. Uh, it had gotten 10 times worse. And so there was no stopping once I got out. And so now it was time to either uh, come back or to just go on to the, to the end. And so my sister started trying to pull me out of the, the uh, I called it purgatory. And I couldn't live and couldn't die. I couldn't work. I'm just like the bedevilments in the book talk about. I was a prey to depression. I was having a hard time making a living. Uh, my emotions were all over the board. And uh, I don't know if you ever drank on an antidepressant, but I did, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't advise it. Uh, <laughs> I thought for a long time, if you drink on antidepressants, it will just nullify the antidepressant, make it not effective. Well, that's kind of true, but not all true. And so drinking a half a box of wine at night was like drinking a full box of wine at night, and the blackouts came and they came uh, real quick. And, and so they started, it started getting bad. Uh, I started losing stuff again. And uh, I had nowhere else to go. And so I started thinking about AA and I thought, <clears throat> I can quit when I want to, right? I have quit before and come in this program. I don't have a problem quitting and coming back in here. I have a problem quitting and staying in here. That is the problem that I have. And I have the mind of a chronic alcoholic. I was a chronic relapser for a long time. Today, I am not a chronic relapser, but I still have the mind of a chronic alcoholic. Joe talked about a long time. He talked about a, a piece of the pie missing. <clears throat> we were just not whole. That describes me perfectly. I'm wired backwards, like he would say. And, and to get sober is complicated for me. Getting sober is complicated. I, I, I don't know how others do it, but if you have untreated alcoholism like I do, and you do not treat it with something other than drugs and alcohol, I, an alcoholic of my type will self-destruct one way or the other. I never had the nerve to put a gun to my head, but I had played Russian roulette a thousand times. I never could get there, but I played. And uh, my sister at this time had just about had enough of me. I had never surrendered. I had admitted I was powerless over alcohol when there were no other options. That's when Alcoholics Anonymous started looking real appealing to me. I, got, I, I, I stayed wherever I could for as long as I could, which wasn't very long ever. Uh, drugs and alcohol dictated my every move. Um, I couldn't work. I couldn't talk. I couldn't have a relationship. I couldn't do much. I was struggling late in sobriety. My mother also was struggling with her heroin addiction again. That had come back to visit us. My nephew was struggling with a heroin addiction. My sister was uh, trying to deal with all three of us, and it was extremely painful to watch. I can only imagine how hard it was on her. So I did what I always do. I left, and uh, there I was. Everywhere I went, there was the problem. I traveled. I, I left town. I came back. I ran to girls in every different state I could, and it just never worked. It just never worked, and I always ended up back here. And so when I got back here and the options were gone, all the options were gone, there was no more money, there was no more girlfriends or hostages, whatever you want to call them, or victims, no credit cards, no home to live in. All the stuff I had would fit in the back of that minivan I got. And Kim's couch was no longer an option because she had done with me as far as she could go. 
And um, and so I left. I left there with absolutely nowhere to go. It was cold in December. It was about seven degrees, and McDonald's had free Wi-Fi, so I thought that was the place for me. And so I'd sleep in my car at McDonald's at night, and I'd sleep in my car in the parking lot here at Cosmo during the day. And one night I had I had, had enough. I was at the jumping off place the big book talks about. I had been beaten into submission by alcohol and drugs once again. It did, it, it absolutely did its job. And it was at that point that I surrendered to drugs and alcohol. I'd still not surrendered to this program, but I did surrender to drugs and alcohol. That night, there was a liquor store open and then McDonald's parking lot was empty. And so I got on my knees in the back of that car and I cried. And I cried often, by the way, at the end of my drinking. But I cried this one night as hard as I could and God removed the obsession to drink at that moment. I did not go to the liquor store. I called Kim, or Kim had called me back and said, come home, and I did. Again, she pulled me off the ledge, and I started coming to the bench every day. That's what I did. I didn't have a job. I had nowhere to go. I had no money. I had no credit cards. I'm out of options, and it's only when I'm out of options does this place look real good. And those steps look doable. They're not so hard when you take all my options away. There's nowhere to run. There's nowhere to run. Right? I'm out. And so I came back, and I sat on this bench out here, uh, detoxing from alcohol, hydrocodone, and antidepressants. I was very sick. The VA does not offer very much for veterans. I had been that route. I'd done three treatment centers in 2017. None of them worked. And so I found myself sitting out here on the bench. And I detoxed. And I sat there because there was nowhere to go. But I knew there was coffee here and there were cigarettes here. And I knew some of you in here still loved me when I could not love myself. Now, I didn't know. It's been a long time since I've been in here. But a lot of the faces were not like me. They had stayed in here, and they were still here. So I came back, and I just did the best I could. And for some reason, God started sending these people to me. And I don't know why, but it was almost as if they thought I worked here. And, <laughs> and I had my head down. And I didn't look good, and I did not feel good, and I know I didn't sound good. But they were coming up to me asking how to get to treatment centers, and where do you go for this addiction, and where do you go for that addiction, and who takes Medicaid, and who takes Ambetter, and who takes Qual Choice, and, and I guess that was God's way of saying, if you'll stop thinking about you and try to help somebody, regardless of how long you have sober, you can be you can be of service to somebody, and and that's what I felt like he was doing, and I, I didn't know then. I do know now. I'm very clear on it now, and so I started taking guys. I had a van. It it seats a lot of people. I start going to treatment centers. I'm driving guys to treatment centers. Uh, we we start building this matrix of what. What what treatment center takes what insurance? What the copay is? What the how many days it is? What they treat? And, and I'm I'm just like man. I mean I'm going through post acute stuff. My brain is not clear, but my feet worked real good. My brain didn't work so good, but my feet did, and I know how to drive. And so I just did that. 
I did I, I you know I didn't I didn't have anything else to do and so after after uh it was a couple of months in here I had gotten a sponsor he fired me and uh my sponsor today was here at a men's meeting and he pulled me out of the darkness and he asked me if I was ready to come on into the sunlight and get out of the darkness and come out of the cold. And I was, I was hurt, I was lost, I was scared as a little kid and I didn't know much, but I knew drugs and alcohol had done their job on me. My sponsor asked me to, if I cared, if I wanted to live with him, he had an extra bedroom in his apartment. It was close by, asked me if I had a sponsor. I said, no, I don't have a sponsor and I don't have a place to live. And he asked me to come live with him. Or he asked me if I'd like to move in and get out of the cold. And I said, I think so. I think that's good. I, I, I like opportunity. That sounded like an opportunity to me. I thought, yeah, I could probably do that. I'm not too busy. And, uh, <coughs> and so, uh, so I moved in with my sponsor in my first year of sobriety. Me and my sister were having a really hard time with my mom again. Uh, her heroin addiction had, had come back, if that's even the right way to put it. She was struggling real bad. It was extremely painful to go through that again. I'd already been through that as a child. I did not want to go through that again. I'm early in sobriety. It was a bad timing on her part to do that. <laughs> she didn't check with me though. It's a funny thing about drugs and alcohol. They don't check with your schedule. They don't check with your family. They don't, they don't care if it's an inconvenient time. They just do what they do. And she died. She died um, from heroin addiction, fentanyl and, uh, and uh, crystal meth is what her autopsy said. Now, my sister had been here a lot longer than I had. And it, I watched her go through a very painful time with that, as, as did I. But we got through it. <clears throat> and I spent a lot of time with my sponsor. And it was painful. And I cried a lot. And those guys loved me. As did a lot of guys in this room. Put their arm around me and loved on me. <clears throat> There's way too many guys to mention. But Clay, I really appreciate all you did for me. And uh, so my first year of sobriety included a lot of service work, like Craig had said. I didn't know where to go. Don't know what to do. Don't like being told what to do. And basically, I'm out of options, but I got a clean bed to sleep in, and I got a warm house to live in, and I got a sponsor that loves me no matter what, who believes in me and helped me understand what it really means to surrender to the 12 steps of this program. I had, I had been surrendered by drugs and alcohol. Never had I surrendered to the 12 steps. So my first year was pretty tough, and uh, I made it through. Worked, I worked with some guys. I sponsored some guys. I worked with some long-term sobriety guys, short-term sobriety guys. I got back into the prison uh, AA scene, started doing that some more. Uh, started going to the VA treatment centers. I go to treatment centers around here in Little Rock. I take guys. I go. Um, I go to the uh, state hospital occasionally for treatment center meetings, and I try to do anything that's asked of me from anybody in here. Not perfect, but I try. And so that's what I did. Um, so I just had, I just celebrated um, two years of sobriety again. Again, now, I, my, my brain may be a little confused 
because it's almost like I keep getting sobriety birthdays like there's birthday presents coming with it. Like like this is the third time I've had two year a two year coin. Third time I've had a two year coin. There's no gifts coming with it. It's not like a belly button birthday. That's that's what I do. I don't have a lock on this program. I told you I don't know I know how to come in here and stay sober and get all my stuff back. I know how to do that. I know how to help people. I know how to work with people. I know how to sponsor guys, and I know how to go to treatment centers. What I have not figured out how to do is to stay in here. I have, uh, I, I'm the alcoholic that has uh, uh, the mind of a chronic alcoholic, which comes a lot of discontent and never being satisfied, just like when, when I was a child. And the only thing I know how to fix that is, is I have to surrender to the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I have done that this time. I'm not sure I ever did that with one year sobriety or five years of sobriety or my 10 years of sobriety. I am beyond a shadow of doubt. I know that I have surrendered to the program. I got surrendered by drugs and alcohol, but that was just the first surrender. The second surrender for me comes by working this program. And, and so that's what I do today. I get on my knees in the morning and I pray. I do my third step prayer. I do my seventh step prayer. I spend time with my sponsor in the morning because a good sponsor likes to talk about steps and that's what he does. I go through my day trying to help other people because I am a self-absorbed, narcissistic alcoholic and I spend a lot of my day thinking about me. So I try to apply the principles in my life. I work with guys when I don't want to. I take guys places when I do not want to. I sponsor guys when I do not want to. But it's the very thing that has saved my life. I go to meetings multiple meetings during the day. I go to meetings at night at treatment centers. When I come home, I have to discuss my day with my sponsor because that's what he likes to talk about. <laughs> he likes to talk about my day. So we talk about the 10th step and how I did that day. Now I got a problem with ego and I have a problem with humility and I have a problem with fear. But what I've learned this last year is if I can keep my ego in check, which is what a very effective sponsor will do for you, if I can keep applying the principles of this program in my life even when I don't want to, if I can keep working with newcomers even when I don't want to, there is a chance that I don't have to come back and get a desire chip. Now, I haven't had to do that today. But like I said, there's, I, have no, I, don't have a, I don't have a guarantee on this program. I got one day just like everybody else. But the problem with that is, the, and I, see, I can see my future by looking in my past. I see what's coming. As I start getting sober, things start coming back. Life starts coming back. The car starts coming back. The clothes, the job, the opportunities, the travel, the out-of-state stuff starts coming back. <clears throat> and that's when my ego starts telling me, I really don't need Alcoholics Anonymous anymore. My disease says, I can make it back because I've done it so many times before. Now, that's what my disease and my ego tell me. And if you're a chronic alcoholic like me, you have that same problem. But you don't have to go out. But some of you will. And the best thing I ever heard up here was keep coming back no matter what.
And I did that for seven years in my purgatory period until I got surrendered by drugs and alcohol for the last time and I got to come back in here. It's an honor to be a member of this program. This program has given me everything that I have today. And more importantly, I don't spend all day up here thinking about conversations that I should have had and would have had and was going to have. I don't spend a lot of time up there thinking about that. God puts a lot of people in my life, and they take me out of me, even though I complain about it. Life is good. I owe my freedom, the freedom from that. I owe to this program. I sit on an area back here. We call it death row. <laughs> because if you think about it, if you think about it, I got to do time. I got to do my, I, I, I'm convicted of AA. I got to spend the rest of my life in here on death row back there. There's no reservations. There's no way out. So I'll have to do all I can do back there on death row. And so I heard a guy saying, I heard a guy named uh, uh, um, Men's Fraternity say you got to die to live. Great paradox is you got to die to live. And so sitting back there and my sponsor, Keep me reminded that I got to die to live. And it's not always about me, but it's about what I can do for you guys. Thank you so much for letting me come in here tonight. I appreciate you. Glad that's over. Thank you. We're going to close in the normal manner if you want to. We all hold hands. Say the All Father. See, there you go again. There you go again. I told you. What he does, he may go down every time. Grab a hand. Everyone, grab a hand. Whose Father who keeps us sober? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and glory forever. Amen. Keep coming back because it works if you work it. That was prison. That was jail. Oh, they were good. They were good. Thank you.